Good morning and welcome to HBT. We are honored to have you with us today and we trust the Lord will speak to your heart specifically, purposefully, and he will bless you in his presence today. We are always honored to be able to meet with you this way and we trust that uh, what is said today will help you through the coming days that lay ahead for us. Uh, these days we just depend on his presence and his goodness to see us through. So we are delighted to have all of you with us today and we just trust that uh, the Lord will take complete control over this service today. We just pray always that he will breathe upon us and breathe upon his own word and just make it live and come alive for us. So this morning we invite you to enter into worship and as we have said many times to uh, just lay aside everything, lay aside all your affairs for this uh, coming week and uh, the things that were not completed last week and just use this time this morning just to enter into his presence and, and just to be able to worship in spirit and in truth. God has led us to a great place and we find ourselves now wanting more than ever just to find the mind of Christ and know exactly what we should be doing, where we should be and what our priorities should be. And I believe God is doing that in the hearts of his people. And so this morning we invite you just to come and uh, just to join in now and worship together and just enjoy the presence of his blessings. May God bless you.
just counted a privilege to be with you all. Amen. We welcome you to service. Amen. It's just it's just wonderful to gather in his name and lift him up to give him the glory he deserves. Amen. And that's what I live for. I hope that's your desire. Amen. <clears throat> Why don't we sing that song, Fill My Cup, Lord? Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, oh, come and quench this thirsting of my Once again now, sing it with me. ourselves out, pour everything out on the altar, amen, and let him take control this morning, amen. Let's sing that song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, I worship his holy name. 
like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. And the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, and it's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass, and whatever lies before me, let me be singing. When the evening comes, and bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, I worship His holy name. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. Come on, sing now. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, oh, my soul. I worship His holy name and sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name and on that day when my strength. draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore glory bless the Lord oh my soul Oh, my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Yes, I will worship your holy name. Oh, I will worship your holy name. Hallelujah. Amen.
11. Well, good morning again, and may God bless you. Welcome to HBT, and uh, we trust that all of you, again, will be edified today. Uh, let's just jump right in this morning because uh, I have a lot of things that I would like to share. And uh, we're just going to depend on the Lord to help guide us through this service as we do every service. And uh, we just trust that uh, the Lord will meet with you where you are and with whom you are. And uh, just trust that uh, what is said today will be a help to you and carry you through the week. Uh, we welcome all of you that are uh, listening from our local assembly. And then also we have many, many people now who are streaming and archiving and listening to service. And we're uh, always glad to have you with us as well. Uh, you pull out your phone or uh, your device and you're welcome to send an amen. Let me know you're there. Uh, that's always a, a blessing to me because that's the only interaction uh, that I have with the uh, assembly this morning. So we appreciate that very much. Now let me give you a couple of announcements here and then a couple of prayer requests and we'll go uh, we'll go into our text this morning. Um, I wanted to mention to you that uh, if you would just continue to remember Sister Angie Pruitt in prayer and her family. Uh, these are the days that are difficult when uh, the routine so drastically and suddenly changes uh, in the passing of Brother Larry and we would ask that you would just uh, be uh, in contact with her and uh, sometimes even just a note or um, maybe a phone call or however you would like to do that and I know she would appreciate that very much. Sister Jackie Whitlock has been suffering from a uh, reaction, an allergic reaction this week and so uh, she has uh, taken some medication for that but we would ask you to remember that in prayer and um, just uh, really um, trusting that God will bless her and give her that healing touch that she needs. Brother Keith is in uh, Albany, New York, or at least on his way to Albany, New York. Uh, he sent me a picture of uh, his screen watching in service today. And so um, we just trust that those people that are out working today and the people who are on the medical front, that uh, they will be safe and um, just uh, protected by the angels that accompany them. We also pray for uh, Sister Karen Pruitt. Uh, some of you will know that Sister Karen, Brother Tim's wife, uh, was put in hospital. Uh, she had a, a brain bleed in exactly the same place that she had it several years ago. And uh, the doctors are very happy with her progress this time. They really don't know exactly what the cause of the problem is. It just seems to be some sort of a weak spot there. Um, they're doing a scan again this morning and Brother Tim told me early this morning uh, that he was hoping that this would um, uh, be a, a step in the process of letting her go home today. And uh, he, of course, when somebody's put in the hospital, he's not allowed in there to see her. They've been talking by phone. And so uh, I told him today that we would mention that on the broadcast and we'd be praying for her and uh, trusting that the Lord will uh, see her through and, and get her back home just as quickly as possible. Uh, as well, uh, this week I've been in contact with Brother Ron Spencer and he had a better week this week. And uh, we're trusting that the Lord will uh, continue to undertake for our brother, give him strength. Uh, we curse that affliction because we know that it doesn't come from God. And so we invite you to stand together in prayer to ask God's blessing upon him and give him a complete victory and restoration over that problem. He had a dream a little while ago where he and I were traveling to a certain place, to a certain meeting. And so I constantly remind him uh, that uh, I need him to get well so that we can travel. We've done that before. And uh, I just uh, 
would like to invite you to just to remember that need in prayer. Uh, Sister uh, Karen Morglier, her uh, daughter Carrie, youngest daughter Carrie, proved negative this week in the testing that she went through for the uh, COVID virus. And uh, we're thankful for that. That's an answer to prayer. And uh, Sister Karen was very relieved at that and uh, thankful for everybody uh, being involved in that one. I'm going to remind you, brothers, again, and uh, for even for our younger brothers, at 7 o'clock tonight, we will have our Zoom meeting with men. We're going to have a special guest, and we're going to be talking about the whole uh, concept of the future of work. It will be an informative session for you, and I just uh, would invite you and urge you to uh, make a point to be there. I think it'll be very edifying for you to come along. We can accommodate up to 100 people, so you're certainly welcome to uh, come on along and listen, and uh, we'll have the same format as we did last week. Brother Aaron spoke for us uh, last week and did a little presentation, and then we had a discussion that followed that, and uh, it was very, very good, very positive. I, we really had a lot of good feedback and really enjoyed it. So um, I would encourage you, brothers, mark it on your calendar, and uh, we will see you tonight at 7 o'clock. We'll open up the door just a little bit earlier so that you can come along uh, and be there with us. So uh, that's at 7 o'clock tonight. I think you should have the schedule now for the Sunday school meetings. And I want to say I appreciate our Sunday school teachers jumping in there and becoming involved with the uh, classes. We're trying to do everything we can to minister to our young people in their different groups and uh, trusting that uh, they will enjoy their times together. We have one this afternoon. We have them different times during the week. And you should have received a notice about those times. And if you're not sure of the times, make sure you get in contact with me uh, or Sister Sarah Coffee, and uh, we can make sure that you're uh, lined up for your particular time and for your family. Uh, it's, it's just neat to be able to see the kids see each other and to be uh, blessed with the Sunday school classes there. So um, if you're not aware of your time, and just make sure that uh, you let us know. Now, uh, I wanted to jump right in, and uh, before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. And we're going to have um, we're going to have a uh, reading from the scripture, and we're going to go back into the book of Exodus, chapter thirty-three. Exodus, chapter thirty-three. And I'm going to pull mine up here. The title this morning is the advantage of knowing God. The advantage of knowing God. So let's take a reading from Exodus chapter 33. I'll give you a moment just to find your, your place there and uh, have your Bible ready because we're going to look at a couple of uh, scriptures in the Old Testament here and a couple of places that I found uh, this week in my studies. And just, uh, you know, they, uh, certain scriptures at this particular point are very relevant and they jumped at me this week. And I want to share uh, some things with you here. Some of this is going to start very basically uh, very simple as we begin, and then we, I want to uh, just develop the thought as we go into this and just trust that the Lord will bless you the same way he's blessed me in this particular study here, talking about the advantage of knowing God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of the morning, we come before you praying that your Holy Spirit will minister to every heart and every soul. Lord, I, I know that as we gather in this way, Lord, we compensate for the lack of our church building our assembly. But, uh, Lord, we, we are mindful that your presence, Lord, doesn't require any kind of a physical place. It just requires receptive hearts. 
And so I'm praying that every listener today, no matter whether they're listening live or maybe in an archive session, that, Lord, you will just now reach down and just grip their hearts with the reading of the word. And, Lord, may you hold our attention and, Lord, just captivate our thoughts so that we can really hear from you, Lord. We know that you speak in many ways. You speak, Lord, in sometimes uh, ways that are just like our own voice in our mind. But, Lord, it requires a, a discernment, a, an ability to be able to understand the distinction of your voice over all the other voices that are in our minds. Lord, there's no way in the world that we could ever have anticipated us being where we are today. But we are here. And so, Lord, we're just inviting you now, right where we are, to draw near, to come by, Lord, come by our way, and just breathe upon your word and make it live, make it work. Father, I pray that you would just minister now to every family and those that are sick, Lord, and needy, those that are suffering loss. We commit them into your hands, Lord. I'm not sure, Lord, exactly who's working today in the hospitals and the uh, in the facilities, Lord, but I, I just ask that your hand of protection would rest upon them. Lord, there are several believers that are suffering today and sick, and I just ask that you would be with them, especially Brother Ron, Sister Karen uh, Pruitt, Lord, and uh, we, we do commit them into your care. We also, Lord, are thankful for the report, Lord, from Kara Hughes, and just uh, pray that you would just continue to give her strength and your healing touch and deal with her heart. Father, I just pray now that you would take this meeting. Blessed, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Now, uh, I wanted to just begin here very simply and just say that on Friday night, we had our gathering with our young people. And that's always a special time for me. I really look forward to it through the week. Uh, partly because of the, of the uh, lessons that we have, but also because of the questions and the interaction that we have uh, at the end of our session. One of our young people, one of our guests who were there asked the question about, uh, you know, what happens after this, after this time and after this, uh, you know, period where, uh, you know, we're confined and then things will go back in a, perhaps in phases, be able to go back to church. Uh, what will that be like? What will things be like? And, and more on the spiritual level, what will things be like spiritually? And I, I thought a lot about that. We talked, we discussed that Friday night, but then I, I began to think about that since Friday night. And I was just thinking about maybe um, more extensively or more deeply uh, where it is that we're headed. And of course, you know, the future is not known to us. So uh, I, I just want to say two things about that. And that'll give us a bit of a springboard to jump into our topic this morning. Um, we do understand that, uh, you know, abiding by the government's regulations that we'll probably phase back into church again. Um, we do have and are working on a reopening plan so that uh, we can conduct worship in our building in a safe way, an appropriate way. And uh, we'll be uh, letting you know about that, of course, as we uh, come up the road. But also, too, I think that God has done two things, and if, and if nothing else, we can thank him for these two things that are being done. I, I believe that what we're going to see, first of all, beyond this particular point, is a greater manifestation of the opening of the word. I think that's one thing that's that's coming. That's something that I can show you in, in, the, in the word of the hour that's promised for us. And I think that's going to happen. We're going to see 
a, a, a greater manifestation. It's almost like uh, in this time, God has taken the magnifying glass and put it on the same Bible and the same message we have to make it larger almost, to illuminate it. And things that we've read and things that we've listened to for years and now all of a sudden it becomes really pertinent. It becomes really more meaningful now uh, to us. I think you're going to see more of that. I think that's that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit in times like this. And you know what? According to God's pattern, we need that as well because uh, life has changed and things are different and there's going to be some repercussions from living in the times we're living in. So in times like that, when uh, you know, when when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard. He 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 does the does the opposite thing in order to encourage and and continue to captivate the hearts of His people. And so I'm look I'm looking to that. I, I'm not just that's just not a wishful thing. I'm already beginning to see it to a certain extent already. And I think when we come back together and put all those looks of fire in the same room, I think you're going to see a greater manifestation of the opening of the word. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that, you know, we'll have greater manifestations or gifts or uh, supernatural things. I mean, th these signs shall follow them that believe, and I, I believe in that, obviously. But I'm looking for the word to become more meaningful to us than it ever has before. The second thing is this, is that if nothing else, I believe that God has pushed the reset button for us. And when we reset something, it usually means we go back to a place, uh, almost like a foundational place, and clear away all the stuff that's accumulated there. If you ever reset your computer, if you ever restart your computer, then you're clearing away the stuff that's been accumulated, uh, the the all the you know open programs that are there that are not being used at the moment, but they just take up space, and we go back to a position where things begin to run smoothly and cleanly and quickly again, and I believe that that's what's happening. I I I, I do believe that uh, there's a kind of reset that's going on among us where the Holy Spirit has. Uh, in a sense, helped us to reapply re uh, basic principles and to clear the slate, if you like, and come back to some very, very fundamental things. We've learned to prioritize certain things, what really matters, and we're willing to let go of things that don't matter. Uh, sometimes our busyness and sometimes our scheduling and all the rest of it, a lot of that we've created. And I think during a reset time, you begin to realize, okay, there are some things I really don't need to be bothered with or encumbered with. And the Holy Spirit in times like this brings us back to, well, what really matters? What is really important? And and sometimes these, these experiences that we have are, uh, they are reminders of that in our lives. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not suggesting at all that's a bad thing. I'm thinking that's a good thing. And to reset, to refocus, to re- uh, reevaluate things and then to pick up the things that are important and begin to move forward. That is something that we would not have done probably voluntarily, but it's a consequence of living in the times we're in. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, I just, I'm thankful for that in my own life. And I feel like I'm going to be very careful about what I pick back up when I, when things kind of get back to normal or whatever normal looks like in the future. Um, going to be careful about picking those things back up. Now, in saying that, um, 
I, I'm reminded of something that Brother Branham taught us in the message desperation. And uh, before we uh, jump into that, let's take our text in Exodus chapter 33 and let's read here because I want to use this as an illustration of a point. This is the time right after uh, the uh, golden calves when um, the children of Israel are waiting for Moses. He's up in the mountain and he comes down and they've already constructed the golden calf and God judges them. After that particular time in Exodus chapter 32, after that experience, and God exercises forgiveness over the children of Israel through the intercession of Moses, then in chapter 33, and I've got my Schofield Bible here, the, the heading says the journey is to be resumed. And so they're back on the road again. If you like, it's a re almost a reset. And uh, things are described now how they begin the journey through the wilderness and God begins to talk to them about what worship's going to look like, what the new tabernacle is going to look like, what their role is going to be in that and how they're all going to contribute to that. In, um, as, in, in interestingly enough, I'm just reminded here, I'd like to give you a little statement here. Uh, this came from Brother Elias over in Africa. I've been talking to him this week. And uh, he was telling me that in their country, even though uh, it's a little bit difficult for us to relate to this, he said that uh, we, and this is a quote from his communication with me, he said, we have several, several believers in our church who are at home with unpaid leave due to the pandemic. He said, these are mostly teachers who are employed by private schools and all of their school system is shut down over there. These schools are trying to ask the government to assist in paying salaries for their teachers, but we, uh, but, but we that will never, but we know that that will never happen in third world countries. He said they're really desperate. So these teachers over there are um, in a place where they have absolutely no income. Their income was cut off completely. And the government does not have the capacity to be able to supply salaries to state workers, government workers in any way, shape or form. So if you're not working, you're not earning. And if you're not earning over there, you're not eating. And so Brother Elias had some people in his church who were in that position. So I told him, I said, I want you to uh, receive an offering. Uh, somebody sent me a mission offering actually this week. Somebody's listening today. And uh, I channeled those funds over to Brother Elias. And we uh, made a, a little assistance for the uh, believers over there. And just trying to do what we can to help because uh, this is a... Um, you know, it's certainly a difficult time for them. So I'm just letting you know that the, uh, that's uh, that's what happened through this week. Now, coming back to our, our text here, we find in Exodus chapter 33, and we'll read in just a little bit, they're back on the journey again, they're reset uh, things again through uh, God's grace and God's forgiveness, and now they're back on the road again in verse 12. And we find that Moses says to God, uh, they've got They've, they've got the pillar of fire with them. You can read in previous verses there. They have the cloud that follows them. But because of the great grievance that's just taken place, Moses wants to know from God that God's personal presence is with him. He does not want to continue this journey without knowing that he's there. This is, this is more than just having signs of his presence. This is more than just knowing that 
you know, the, the book says or the promise says. Moses is going just a little step further, and he's wanting to hear from God that, that his personal presence is with him. And in verse 12, it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast let me know whom thou wilt send with me. And yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. And now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, God said to Moses, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he, Moses, said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. In other words, there's no point in us going any further unless that I know you're with me. And God makes that pledge to Moses in verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There is always a rest and a peace that comes with the presence of God. There's always uh, a special um, benefit from having the presence of God with you. And this is even more than just knowing that the book says this and the Bible promises this. And, and of course, that's good. And we, we're thankful for that because the promises are, are sure and they're positive. But this is Moses saying, I just, I want, I want to know that you're there. I want to know that despite all of our mistakes, you have not forsaken us. And I want to, I want to know your personal presence as we go forward here. And if it's not there, let's stop and make right what we need to make right until your presence is welcome among us again, and then we'll go forward. Because this journey is not worth pursuing. This journey is not worth taking unless you're very close. And so this is what uh, Moses waited on God for. Now, let me just say this, and my, my thoughts are coming back again to uh, desperation here. Brother Manon made this statement, and he said, um, he said, now, we're going to talk on desperation. This is at the very beginning of his service. And, of course, desperation and the token ran together uh, in that month in September. This is a very important weekend for Brother Branham in his ministry there. And he says, we're going to talk on the subject of desperation for a few minutes, he said. Usually, it takes a state of emergency to throw us into desperation. It's too bad it has to do that. But he said, human beings are so slothful in their mind that it takes an emergency. It takes an emergency to put us into action. Something arises, and when they do, it throws them into that desperation. And in doing that in desperation, it brings out the real thing that you are. Now, remember I said, I think it was last Sunday, that persecutions and afflictions and pressures do not change our destiny. They only bring out what is there. Uh, they, they emphasize and, and uh, show the character of who you really are. But persecution doesn't, doesn't convert people. So if we had some sort of a, you know, a, an overt outside pressure that came against the church and some dis discrimination against the church, let me tell you something, that, that is not really a form of evangelism. It might get some people who are in a slothful state to think about where things are heading, and that wouldn't be a bad thing. But for the most part, let me tell you something. God uses the, the ministry of his word. God uses the foolishness of preaching to captivate uh, the hearts of his people. It's the eagle cry that lets us know we are eagles. It's not, the, it's not government legislation that makes us eagles. It's the cry of another eagle that helps us to really obtain our true identity. And so 
Uh, Brother Branham is, is telling us here that this this uh, times of trouble, desperation, brings out what we really are. It shows what you're made out of and uh, in the time of desperation, and it pulls out all the good things that's in you. Now, if there's good things in you to pull out, desperation will do that. If there's not good things to pull out, then we'll also see a lack of character as well uh, when, when times get difficult. And we tend to pray out of crisis. We tend to pray uh, because there are uh, troubles and tribulations that are there. It, it's, 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 it is an unfortunate thing, uh, but it is the reality of the thing as well. Because there are many times when we wake up in the morning and we don't pray, God, make me desperate. Um, make me, uh, you know, so consecrated here that, uh, you know, that, that uh, I'll, I'll know what to do in every bad situation. Many times we pray uh, that God would protect us from problems and crises, as I've said many times. So when the crisis actually comes, when difficulties come or squeezes come in our life, then we tend to pray out of that. We tend to pray uh, through that. Not a bad thing. That's I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing at all. Our Brother Bram's helping us to understand what desperation really means now. You have to think about this. For instance, the disciples, they were very experienced about uh, the miraculous and the supernatural. They were personally trained by Jesus and they, they witnessed many things that Jesus did that they'd never heard of or seen anybody else do. And so they had seen many great, uh, great uh, fascinating things that were done in the time of their three and a half years with Jesus there. And they did not ask Jesus about uh, how to do any of those things. They only asked for teaching on one particular thing out of all the times they were with Jesus that was recorded, the only thing they asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray. Because they understood that there was a key to the success that Jesus had came through, somehow came through his communion with his father. And so the only they did not ask Jesus, how did you turn the water into wine? How did you still the storm? Or how can we raise the dead like you raise Lazarus from the dead? They'd never asked Jesus those questions. At least it's not recorded. But they did ask him. They said, how, how do you pray? Can you teach us how to pray? How do you commune with God uh, in order to have the experiences that you have? Because they knew that somehow or another, that's a divine connection between an individual and, and his heavenly father. And that opens up the floodgates for other things to happen. So you remember the example, and Jesus, of course, teaches them in the Lord's Prayer, and he says, you know, uh, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus prayed this way because there are two kingdoms. Those kingdoms are in opposition. But he said, you should pray that God would allow the influence of that heavenly kingdom to overlap into your daily life so that you can actually express some of what's in that kingdom in this world. And I believe that's that's a very important commission that's given to us. Now, remember the story of, of this epileptic boy that um, was prayed for by the disciples. He tore himself. He jumped into the fire. He, uh, you know, tore off all of his clothes and so forth. I mean, it must have been a terrible thing. And this father who was desperate brought the boy to the disciples. They prayed for him and nothing changed. And they wanted to know, why couldn't we do this? Why could not we uh, pray successfully for this boy? And, and it's interesting what Jesus answers. It's always interesting what Jesus answers. But he says, uh, you know, he's, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say like this, 
well, you know what, I'm the son of God, and so therefore I can do certain things that you can't. He doesn't say that at all. Matter of fact, let's look at what he says in Matthew 17. It's on your screen there. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long shall I suffer you? Bring the boy hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. In other words, there's a, there's a level of faith or a level of belief here that uh, is, is where you are. That's the reality of where you are. Now watch what he says. And he says, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you that if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth out, but by prayer and fasting. So that's the reason that Jesus said, he said, this kind goes out with, with, with prayer and fasting. And Jesus casts out the demon of that boy without prayer or without fasting. In other words, we find that Jesus, as we go back in, in the book of Matthew in chapter 4, you remember when he went apart to pray before the devil tempted him. And he took, you know, 40 days and he fasted and prayed there. In other words, for Jesus, it was it was because he had prayed himself into a position, in prayed himself into, in a sense, into a, 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 a position with God and a lifestyle before that emergency came. And so then when the emergency rises, he's able to act and he's able to speak and he's able to do things. And he doesn't have to try to get to a certain level of faith. He's already there. He's living in it. He's living in this perfect world where he has that communion with his father. And he says, I only do that which the father shows me. So he's, he's, he's actually there. And we tend to respond differently to prayer. And I'm not being critical now of how we pray, but we tend to be different in, in that because we, we pray because an emergency arises, and then we, we try to find the mind of the Lord. We try to seek his presence and so forth. Here's Jesus. He's living in this world, in a, in, in a sense, in, in, walking like on another realm. He's walking in another world within this world because he's communing with the Father almost continually. And so, therefore, Jesus said, that's why when you need, when you pray— you need to use prayer and fasting and whatever it is that it takes to get you to that level to be, be able to accomplish these kinds of things. But it was almost like Jesus was already there. Now, I got to stop for a minute and say this. For those of you that may be battling with sickness and somebody might be saying to you, well, uh, you know, you don't have enough faith. And a lot of times we hear that, that people will say, well, you don't have enough faith. I would say this before you say that to somebody, try to get into that realm yourself. Try to get into that place yourself. And living in this world, it's a very difficult thing to do. It's a very challenging thing to do, to live, to try to supply, to try to, you know, work and, and provide for your family or to care for little children and to, you know, to live in that world of perfect faith that Brother Random described that uh, Jesus lived in. It's a very challenging thing. So our response to emergencies and our response to crisis, uh, Brother Ram's not being critical in the statement of desperation there. It would be really wonderful if we lived on that level continually so that when trouble came, we would not have to 
uh, we would not have to, you know, uh, seek God or we would not have to run to God, but we'd always be with him. We'd always be walking with him. It would be a wonderful place. I think that's going to be called heaven by the time we get there. But I will say this, and even Jesus, when he prayed in the garden, he told the disciples, he said, you know, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And there are things that get in the way. There are things in this life that get in the way. And I'm not, again, I'm not being critical. I'm just describing things really as they are. Prayer, though, is important. Prayer, and that's why I say I'm going to start off simple here this morning. Prayerlessness uh, is, is, in a sense, it exposes us to things that we probably might not have needed to be exposed to. When we get out of communion with God, when we get out of harmony with God, then a prayer life will, uh, a prayer life that's lacking or weakened will actually expose you to things you probably didn't need to be exposed to. And you find yourself wrestling with or dealing with things that are probably uh, essentially unnecessary or things you may have avoided or dealt with more decisively and moved on had we been prayed up maybe even more than what we are. And so, yes, I'm encouraging you to, to be mindful of that, to seek uh, things. You remember the scripture even says, blessed are they that are pure in heart. I think I've got it here in Matthew chapter 5, uh, where Jesus said, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 here. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is the benefit. That is the advantage of, of uh, being pure in heart is that we're able to see God and we're able to know exactly what God would have us to know. So the pure in heart and keeping my heart in touch with God, it actually provides a peace and a protection and success in dealing with the things that this life and, and, and our enemy will throw at us. The pure in heart are the ones who I believe will keep themselves in that context with God and the strength of my human spirit over my flesh is a good measurement of my spiritual life and my spiritual walk. Let me say that again. The strength of my spirit over my human spirit is a good measure of the strength of my spiritual life. God wants you to not let your flesh rule. God not wants you not to uh, give into that and be led by your feelings and be led by your emotions and led by your passions and your lusts. God does not want us to live that way. And the strength of my, of my spirit, the spirit that God's given me, over the, over the strength of my human spirit is a good measure, perhaps, of where my prayer life is and, and my walk with God. And so when we look at this, Jesus had an exceptional one. He had this walk with God where, you know, he could speak to that boy without prayer and fasting, and that boy would respond to that. With us, sometimes it seems like for us we live in a place of defeat and discouragement because there's perhaps something that's lacking there in our lives. And I'm going to suggest to you that uh, sometimes that uh, it, it is a question of just spending alone and having that time with God. Or let's say it this way, like Moses did, having that passion to say, Lord, I, I, I need to know that your personal presence is with me here. I'm not going any further until I know you're there. I want to get my life right with you. I want to be on, on line with you. I want to see God as, as the pure in heart. I want to be able to have more than just a feel-good experience about all of this. Uh, I, I want to be able to develop the relationship between you and I 
to a greater extent here because God's not just looking for you to have a feeling or uh, an accomplishment or something that you can tick off and say that I've done today. God is actually looking for hearts that have an interest in doing things the way that the kingdom of heaven operates. That's what he's looking for. A people who can look Satan in the eye and say, what your kingdom has to offer does not interest me, but I'm interested in what happens in the kingdom of heaven, and I'm interested in bringing that here and putting it on display. And I'm going to do that in the face of every enemy that comes against me. Jesus is looking for people to have a heart like that, a people who have a, uh, a will like that, where they can, uh, you know, where, where they can tap into things that God has that the world knows nothing about. Let me give you a real good example. This is a concrete example, and thank you for your amens here. I appreciate that very much. In 2 Kings chapter 6, this is a great story, and it happens here at a very important time. And this is when the Syrians are uh, antagonizing Israel, and they're invading Israel and so forth. And uh, there's, there's some great uh, parts to this here in 2 Kings. The Bible says that the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants uh, here in, in such and such a place shall be my camp. So he, he's, he's gathered his servants here and he's telling them this. He said, in such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel saying, beware that thou pass not such a place for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place where the man of God told him and warned him and saved himself there, not once, but twice. So somehow or another, the king of Syria is making plans. And the king of Israel knows about these plans. And he's actually moving his troops and moving everyone in position here to avoid capture and avoid defeat by the Syrian army. And this is happening not once, but twice. This is not just a fluke here. This is happening more than, more than once. And therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and he said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Can one of you tell me who is on the, on the king of Israel's side? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. So here's the, here's the advantage of being a friend of God. Here's the advantage of, of knowing God is for someone like uh, Elijah to be in a place where Elisha, to be in that place where uh, he, he's actually tapping into what's happening in the bedchamber of the king of Syria. And he's warning the king of Israel and saying, hey, when you, when you're, uh, when you go down there, uh, Syria is going to be coming up this way. And there's an ambush set for you here. And there's a trap set for you over here. And you know what? They're avoiding the emergency because somebody has got a friendship with God uh, that's extraordinary. They're, they're, they're protected. There's a measure of blessing that comes because somebody's got uh, th this acquaintance with God, this acceptance with God uh, that is uh, uh, exceptional. It's an advantage of knowing God. It's an advantage of having that communion. And so Elijah lived his life Elisha lived his life in, uh, you know, in, in, in that kind of a realm where God could speak to him and he carried out. That's why God loved that spirit that was on Elijah. And he used it multiple times. I mean, no one else had their spirit used five times. But I believe a part of that was because that uh, Elisha had that desire to find only what God wanted him to do and to carry that out in the face of every enemy. And I pray that God would give us that same kind of a desire, maybe an elevated desire today to say, 
Lord, I want to be, I want to be, not only do I want to be used in a, in a greater way, but I want to know you to such an extent that you could just nod this way or that way, and that would become the will of God for me. And this is what Moses prayed in that passage in Exodus chapter 33. He, he, he just, the signs and wonders, that's wonderful. The promises, they're all wonderful. But I, I just, I want to, I want to live in this place where you're never far from me. And therefore, I want to follow you and I want to lead this people to follow you. And you can see what kind of a people we are. You can see what kind of mistakes we make. And hey, every one of us uh, can relate to that, that we make mistakes. But I, but Moses still prays. He said, Lord, you've forgiven us. You've given us the benefit now of leading us further. Father, I, I want you to, to uh, lead me in a very, very personal way. And I believe this, this saints of God with all my heart, that if we're, if we're listening in the right way, we could pray in advance to prevent the disaster or the danger many times. Now, let me say this. We use this example very often, and, and I think it's a pertinent one. If we know that we're living in the end times, and if we know that we're living in a time when the economy, for instance, is as fragile as what it's proving to be, that what you thought was a permanent situation with your job even if you have your own business or you're independent or you're an owner of a company or whatever else, we think, wow, there's a great stability with that. You know what? I'm going to show you a scripture in a minute where God says, God promises that in the end time, he's going to turn the whole thing upside down. You know what? I want to, I, if I know that's coming, then I want to be in a better position when that happens because I believe God's word is going to come to pass. So it's one thing to know the promise. It's another thing to act on that and actually be putting in place things that help prevent uh, a, a greater disaster in, in the difficult times. That's the advantage of knowing God. We are a people who have been taught consistently that God's word will come to pass. It's not a question of whether it'll come to pass. It's only a question of when it will come to pass. And now we're finding all these end time scriptures truly were end time scriptures. And we find ourselves clearly living in the end time. So if we're listening, I believe that we should pray for and ask God in your closeness with God and say, Lord, prepare me in advance to prevent a, a, a disaster from coming into my house. Help me do all I can. I know we live in a world that's falling apart, right? We don't need any convincing of that. We know that there are sicknesses that the doctors can't touch. And we, we're convinced of that. We live in a time where, uh, you know, the nations are breaking and Israel's awakening. All of those things are very true. And Lord, make my household a strong household. Make it a place where you're always welcome. Lord, help me to make corrections and adjustments so that I can be doing the things that help make my position stronger. It might be paying off debt. It might be uh, making sure I'm paying the tithes on the things I'm paying. It, it might be just be uh, looking at the, the whole role of being a steward over again. How can I help? If I have surplus, can I help the people in, uh, you know, the teachers who are out of work and out of pay uh, in a country like Tanzania? Is there some way that I can uh, channel resources in the way you've blessed me to others during this time in my own assembly? And, and so we are called to be stewards, but remember now you want to be you want to be carefully led during that time because a steward is only as good as his willingness is to follow the master. And the second thing is that knowing that things are in place before the disaster helps you to be less uh, or to have the right attitude as you go through a disaster, right? 
in, we we, we want to listen so that maybe we can do things to prevent greater damage when, when the disaster comes. But number two, we want to know that things are in place for that uh, disaster so that our attitude changes as we go through this. And, and let me say this, I, you know, we, we were all bombarded by information, the headlines, all these different things that are coming uh, at us from all different angles there. And I mean, there's some people say that this is completely unnecessary and this is unnecessary, but this is necessary. And yeah, I mean, we have conflicting opinions either way, either way. And I'm not here to debate the, uh, you know, what's what's actually happening in one, one person's opinion versus another. That's not my interest today. My interest is, is that I'm called to demonstrate an attitude of peace as a Christian in a very uncertain time. And to have people say to me, you don't seem as bothered as everybody else. You don't seem as troubled as everybody else. You know, there, there is a, an attitude in the world. There's a fear in the world. There's a, a level of uncertainty that's increased in the world. It doesn't seem to bother you. And I can tell you, it really doesn't because I know who holds the future. And I, I, from all of this, again, if I, if I could draw uh, maybe a little statement from the beginning that I talked about, the reset button, if there's anything that, that perhaps speaks to me loudest in the times like this, it's going back and looking and saying, are there corrections that make me more usable and more sensitive to God in times now than what they were? There's an advantage to knowing God. Just like uh, the, the king of Israel had a great advantage of having a man in his kingdom like Elisha. Everybody wasn't there, but Elijah was there. And so he had an access, he had a channel, he had a communion with God so that there were great benefits that he could share. And the whole kingdom was blessed because uh, that Elijah had that communion with God. When we don't have, uh, when we don't use that advantage that uh, that comes with knowing God, then we have to react and we have to respond to things as they happen. And many times we're caught off guard by things when we don't know they're coming. So prayer, in a sense, it literally shapes you to have an effect on the world around you. It puts you in a position where, uh, because of your knowing, it, it, it guides you in a way that the world really knows nothing about. Now, let me just follow this through here. This is the story of, of uh, Elisha hearing what's going on in the king's chamber. Brother Branham, he mentions this scripture many times because, of course, he's anointed with the same spirit of Elijah. In uh, 1951, back in a message called Our Hope is in God, he said the Holy Spirit was upon the church at Pentecost, come right down through the age and right on through on into this age here. The Holy Spirit that was on the church at Pentecost has come all the way down through. It's still the same Holy Spirit. And when people's faith get into a place, they'll get the blessing to realize it's theirs. Then the same operation of the Holy Spirit will be operating in the church like it did back there, just the same. So is he referring just to the upper room? Well, I mean, the same message. He said, now listen to this close. And the king of Syria warred against Israel. He goes right back to that scripture that we just read. So let's look at the first part of the quote again. The Holy Spirit that was upon the church of Pentecost come right down through the age and is still the same Holy Spirit. So if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, what he did back there, he's still able to do, to do today. <clears throat> In other words, I firmly believe that even 
even without having a prophet among us, I believe that God's able to speak to us, to warn us about things that go ahead. And it takes the human desperation part out of it or makes it lessened because you knew in advance that God was going to do things. And you know more than anyone else in the world that God's in control. And if God's in control, you have nothing to fear. And I think that's a wonderful thing for us to talk about today. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, let's find this in the Bible now. Matthew chapter 13. Again, now, our title is The Advantage of Knowing God. Jesus says that in Matthew 13, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So there are two kingdoms. One of them is an invisible one. The, the kingdom of heaven comes without observation. And there are all kinds of people who even back then were around Jesus physically and could not see what the disciples see because it was not given to them to see, it was given to you to see. And that's what he tells them. So there is a reservation of that insight and that understanding that's given to God's elect that becomes a great privilege or and becomes a great advantage of knowing God uh, because it, it lets us know what lays ahead. It lets us know where we should be. It places us on the timeline. It corrects us when we are wrong. It, it uh, encourages us when times of discouragement. It, it, it corrects us when we are out of the way sometimes. Uh, God's Word is a very powerful tool. It's, it's like a, a sharp, two-edged sword. It pierces all the way down to the very core and the marrow of who you are. And we can never hide or fool God. We can never run from him. Christ the mystery God revealed. I love this statement here in 63. Same as it was in the days of Christ, God holds the key to this revelation of Christ himself. God holds this key. It's, it's schools of theology can never find it. Jesus said in Matthew 11, I thank thee, O Father, God of heavens and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the eyes of the wise and prudent and revealed it to babes such as would learn. The key of revelation is never learned. It's never acquired by academia. It's never, it's never learned by association, and it's never, it's never accumulated because of time. So in other words, you might have sat in Brother Bram's meetings. It doesn't mean that you have revelation. You may have been in a message church for a long, long time or all your life. That does not mean you have a revelation. Revelation comes because God's given it to you. It's God's gift. It's God's blessing uh, to uh, enlighten somebody's pathway. Okay? So it's not acquired in any other way except through the, through the goodness of God. Again, in the same quote here. So that there is no school, no theologian, no teaching uh, of, the, of any Bible school that knows anything about it. It's impossible for them to know anything about it. God has hid the senses of knowing it from the very elected teachers and everything else. So in other words, let's say it this way. If Brother Ram's ministry was to tie together loose ends, it's possible to hold the loose ends, but not to know where they go. Like I said, I think on Wednesday night, it's like uh, you know asking a person in a room that's pitch black to try to put together a jigsaw puzzle, even if they have the image in mind, even if they know what the end result should be, to be able to actually piece those things together would be a virtually impossible task and to get it all right. So Brother Branham said there are people here who are in school to study the Bible. There are people who have spent their lifetime in church or whatever else, but it's impossible for them to get the picture right it's impossible for them to put all the loose ends together in the right place because that depends on God. It does not depend on scholarship. 
It's a personal, individual affair with the person that Christ is revealed to them. Isn't that something? It's a personal, individual affair with the person that Christ has revealed to them. It's not a corporate thing. It's not the church gets it. As a matter of fact, somebody in the church can get it and somebody might not. And that depends on a number of different factors. It's not just that it comes to, uh, uh, you know, it just comes to people who have been in the church a certain length of time. That's not it. It's a personal, individual affair with the person that Christ has revealed to them. And if you say, well, he's been revealed to me, and then the life that Christ produced here in the Bible, that same life is in him, does not produce itself in you, then you've got the wrong revelation. Just by saying you've got a revelation doesn't mean you have it. A revelation always has an outworking. It always has a manifestation. And so when a revelation comes from God, it's going to affect your life. It's going to change your life and make it match that kingdom more than what you did before. Because the more that God reveals to you, the more he's actually uh, drawing, drawing you closer to that kingdom over there. He's not revealing things to you so that you can be wealthy and rich and successful over here and get elected in the next election. That's not why he gives you revelation. The revelation ties you to that kingdom. And that's what God is actually trying to do is to, to cause you uh, to, to uh, increase, if you like, in the interest at heart, the pure in heart, to be able to have the same passion, the same feeling that, uh, that God has and that God wants for you in this life compared to that life over there. God wants you to connect with that. And that's a very important thing. Okay. So it's a personal individual affair with that person. So I think this is a good thing for us to talk about, you know, in the individual personal things that, that take place. All right. Now, if we have a passion just to know answers, you'll get answers by reading the message. You'll get, re you'll get answers by reading the book. If you have a passion to know God, though, it's going to change who you are. Now, take your Bible. I don't think I have this in the in the screens here. But if you don't mind, let's go over to the book of Colossians here. This is where I was reading last night, late at night, and just wanted to share a little something with you here. Colossians chapter 3, and we can begin at verse 1. I want you to watch what he says here. If ye be risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He's talking about you being risen from the dead and Christ being risen from the dead. And if you're risen with Christ, you're sitting where he's sitting. In other words, in heavenly places. All right? In other words, what applied in terms of resurrection for him also applies for you. The same rules, the same benefits of the resurrection that applied to him, they apply to you. Hold your finger there. Go back in the previous chapter, chapter 2 and verse 12. Watch what Paul writes. Buried with him in baptism, wherein, ye, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Read it again. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. How was Jesus raised from the dead? By faith. How do you experience new life? By faith. He says in verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 
Jesus took the burden and the penalty of your of, of sin upon himself so that you could go free. So notice what he's, he's clearly saying. You who are dead, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. There's only two that are forgiven their, all their sins and trespasses and walk in newness of life. That's Christ and those who are born again. Those who are truly born again, children of God. Okay, their sins are forgiven. They're gone. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. And what applied to him in resurrection also applies to you. He had the role of being a suffering savior. You have the role of being a benefactor of the resurrection. But the laws of resurrection apply both equally to you and to him. So if he's raised from the dead, we also are raised from the dead. You, he's quickened us with him. And that's what he says. Okay, now bring it back to chapter three. If then ye be risen with Christ, and I hope you believe that, then you seek those things which are above. We begin to look at things differently because we're not looking horizontally. We're looking vertically into the kingdom of heaven. And we seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We're concerned about what's happening there more than what's happening right here. Yes, I got to know if Monday I got a job. And yes, I got to know, you know, will I have enough money to feed my family and all the rest of it. And, you know, all the other natural concerns we have. I've got to look after my body. I got to, you know, I got to keep six feet away from everybody. I can't go to get a good cup of coffee. That's one thing that I'm going to enjoy when we get back on the road again is having a good cup of coffee regularly. But let me just say this. My affection is focused on that kingdom more than this one. It is on this one, but it's more on that one, okay? And that's what he's telling us here. Set your affection, and that is passion, your love. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. There's something in you that's dead. Listen, the human body's still alive. The, the hands that committed sins, the hands that did things wrong, the hands that held a cigarette or held a, a glass of whiskey, all of those, all of those parts are still there. And the memories are still there. The association, you know, when I look at old pictures of myself, all those things, hey, listen, it all happened. It was all real. But I'm telling you that the love for those things is not there. The passion for those things is not there. Or as Paul uses this word, the affection for those things is not there. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. So in other words, uh, there, there is a, a passion that we have, not on things on this earth, but on things above. Okay. Now he's, he, he compliments that. In verse five, the hands of one cigarette, we're going to, we're going to prevent us from being in a position where that could happen again. We're going to rob the devil from having any opportunity to do that anymore. We're going to mortify. We're going to kill it. We're going to slay it. We're going to destroy it. Mortify is not a passive word. Mortify is not a pleasant word. It means an all-out struggle to the death. And he's describing depraved passions, perverted passions, things that are not normal, not wholesome, things that are not right. The marriage is honorable, the bed undefiled. I know that that's true. But saying that the things you learned in the Gentile world and the freely available in the Gentile world, 
you're going to mortify those members which are upon the earth because my greatest pull should not be to those things. My greatest pull should be to that kingdom. And so therefore I'm going to do everything I can to slay that influence in my life. I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be uh, forthright in my dealings with other people. I'm going to do everything I can to destroy the power of that thing over me because I want that thing to have a greater power over me. And that's what he's saying. So a revelation is not uh, when you say that God holds the key to revelation and he's the one that gives it out and so forth, Brother Branham's correctly saying that it doesn't matter that you say you have a revelation. Your life's got to reflect that. You, we've got to see some mortification go on. We've got to see some bloody uh, bloody effects. You know, We've got to see blood all over the sword uh, when this thing is over. We've got to see a, a, an individual who's a believer who not only professes it, but he's he's got a we got to pry the sword out of his hand because he's lived with his hand around that sword to destroy the enemies that come against him. We gotta we gotta pry that sword out of the hand of a man who stands to protect his family and pre prevent those influences coming into his house. We gotta pry the hands out of uh, somebody who's uh, you know pulled by the internet and pulled by temptations on the internet and pulled by all those things there. And and he's got blood all over his sword or she's got blood all over her sword, blood all over her skirt. Because she's done battle with that thing through the week here. And that's an evidence. That's a good thing. That's an evidence that they're mortifying that world in order to be more in contact with that world. And that's the evidence of resurrection. That's the evidence of new life. It's not easy. It's not pretty. It's not always successful even. But let me tell you, the people of God are willing to do battle. The people of God are willing to take their sword and they're willing to press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. They're willing to lose their life even because they don't want to compromise their connection with that kingdom on the other side. So that's what's important to the people of God. And Paul goes on and he describes the walk of the believer and so forth, all the different things that they had uh, they had uh, experienced. And Paul lumps all of these things together here. And in verse 7, he says, In the which ye also walked at some point, he said, But now that's the way you live. But he says, And now we put off all of those things, anger, blasphemy, filthy communication, all of that. He says, now our priority is, is something different. Now, this gets a little bit this gets a little bit interesting when we talk about pride and we talk about uh, jealousy and we talk about uh, you know our past and the influence of our past and you know there are some churches they want to be more spiritual or or you know ministries or whatever else and you know what that's coming from somewhere that's coming from some source. Mortification means that we're going to really take that sword and we're going to lay it to the heart of our enemy. That's what's important. Now. Let's go just a little bit further here. Let's just take this a little bit further. And I want to go to the stature of a perfect man. Brother Branham says, last night I preached on the key. The key is faith. Faith holds the key. The key is the scripture. Christ is the door. So faith takes the little hinges of the scripture and unlocks the glories and the good of God out to his people. What unlocks the good things of God out to the people? It's when you take the key of faith and unlock the scripture. Let me tell you, those hinges begin to squeak and move. Good things come out. The goodness of God comes out to his people. It's faith holds the key that unlocks Christ to the people. Do you get that? It's faith holds the key that unlocks Christ to the people. It reveals it. Let me tell you, there's an advantage of knowing God. Because once faith comes, and faith comes by hearing, that's a key that unlocks things in the Word of God 
so the good things of God can come out and God can reveal his word to his people. So today, we're going to try to take that same key and unlock the way to become a virtuous Christian in the stature of God, that and be a living tabernacle for the living God to dwell in. Let me tell you, everyone doesn't hold the key. Jesus said to them, it's not given. To you, it's given to know the mysteries. To you, it's it's given to unlock the mysteries of God. And so this is, this is exactly the whole point here. This is why we sit underneath the word of God, because faith comes by hearing. And hearing, uh, hearing uh, the word of God increases our faith. If our hearing's right, our faith's going to be right. Faith's going to increase. It's going to increase despite our physical circumstance. Like I've done this illustration many times. If our, if our physical circumstance is, is weak, like Abraham and Sarah, they could not have a child. God's word came to them. Their faith increases. Let me tell you something. It looks down upon the weakness of their body. It does not even consider the weakness of the body because God's promise is greater. Faith makes that difference, okay? And faith comes by hearing. So when we hear the word of God, it lifts our faith above the circumstance we live in because we know that God's word does not come from our thought and it doesn't come from William Branham or anybody else. It comes from God. It comes from that kingdom. So the more we hear, the more it builds faith, the more we realize that kingdom is actually touching this kingdom that we live in. And you know what? God's word is going to come to pass. And I want to set my affection upon that, not on this in this world. So that's where the, that's where the, uh, the blending comes in. That's where the harmony comes in with the mind of God. Now, let me go back in the scripture here for a moment here, and I, I want to look at a, a couple of places here. The first one, and I'm just going to look at two, and then we're going to close here, uh, in Psalm 107. Psalm 107, and, and if you don't mind, open that up so we can just take a look at it here together. Now, Psalm 105, Psalm 107, these are, these, these are really great chapters, and uh, they're very pertinent to our time. David writes this psalm particularly very much like a chorus, and I'll show you that in just a moment here. In verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. He uses that like a chorus, and he says exactly the same thing in verse 8. He says exactly the same thing in verse 15. He says exactly the same thing in verse 21. He says exactly the same thing in verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. It's almost like a chorus that David inserts in there through all of these chapters, in all these verses, rather. In verse 2, let's just go back to the beginning here, and I want to come to something at the end. But in the beginning, in verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's a good thought for a song. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them profess that. And gather them out of the hands from the east and the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way and they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty their soul fainted them. Then they cried unto the Lord to, in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distress. And he led them forth by night by the way that they might go to a city of habitation. God led them by the way, the right way. God led them by the right way that they might go to a city to a city of habitation, a city where they could live together in harmony with God. And he goes, breaks into the chorus again. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And, and, and David writes this whole psalm this way, and you can read it for yourselves. But if you don't mind, come down to verse 38, right towards the end. 
He blesseth them also, he's talking about his people, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes, and causeth them to wander in the wilderness, which there was, no, which there is no way. Let me read it again. He poureth contempt upon princes, and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Imagine, he's taken little Israel, and he's redeeming her. He's he's placing her in a place of habitation, bringing her back from all the nations of the earth. And he's actually pouring contempt upon the princes of this world, the wise, the wealthy, uh, the powerful. And he's causing them to wander in a place where there is no way. He's actually allowed the world to come to a place where they have no path to follow. There's no direction. If you've rejected the Bible, and you've rejected a prophet, and you've rejected Christ, and you've rejected the Holy Spirit, and you've said, all right, I'm going to distance myself from anything to do with that, you know what? You're in a place where there is no way. You've lost track of where the path leads. And this is what exactly what David is prophesying. Hey, we should give thanks unto the Lord our God for his goodness and the wonderful things he's done for us. Because you know what? He's shown us a clear path through all of the darkness that surrounds us in this world. But there are the princes of this world, they're in a place where there is no way. Imagine being in a place where there's no way. And, and which way do we go? Which, which way do we turn? Which way do we go now? What's next? And people are looking to the princes to say, guide us and lead us. Just like people are looking to the government now and the, uh, you know, the, the White House and whatever else. People out there in the world, in the country, they're looking and say, well, what should we do? Should we go back to work? Should we distance ourselves? Should we not? Should we stay home? Should we go out? And, and they're looking. And you know what? There is no way. I mean, that's just an example of the virus thing. But in general now, in general, if the condition of the world got worse and people are looking for legitimate safety, they're looking for legitimate uh, a safety zone that is sure and solid, a place where they can bring their family, a place where they can be safe. You know what? The princes of the world don't have the answer. They're, they're in a place where there is no way. What a scary place to be. Let's read on a little bit further. 41. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. So the princes of, the, of this world are in this position, but the poor, he sets them on high from affliction. They're above it all. And he maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. That's the advantage of knowing God, that the righteous shall see it. 43. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. All of a sudden now, a whole new group of people have an advantage over the rest of the world. Not because we're smarter, but by the grace of God, he's given us an insight to be able to look at the right roadmap to know the right way. You would not know the right way had it not been for the grace of God that guides you and leads you. You, To me, that ought to cause appreciation for the people of God to really be thankful. And this is why David puts this chorus in here, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of Israel. The reason you're on the right path is not because you figured it out. The reason you're on the right path is not because you go to HBT. The reason that you're on the right path is because you know God. And he's the one who's opened your eyes. He's the one that's led you to a place where there's continual guidance along the right path to know the right way into the wedding supper. 
I mean, we're looking for that door that leads us into the wedding supper. That's where we're on our way to. That's the whole point of this journey is to, to, to stay on the right path through the darkness and listen for that voice that calls us through there and the word that guides us through all of these things without desperation that the world exercises. You know, they manifest all kinds of desperation and, you know, they're, they're afraid of this and afraid of that and afraid of something else. Hey, the bride is on a sure path. We're, we're not in a place where there is no way. We're in a, we, we have found the way. We have found the way. So no wonder David says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If I could sing, I would sing that. All right, now take your Bible. Let's go, if you don't mind, over to Isaiah. And we're going to look in chapter... Uh, we're going to look in chapter 24. My, there's so many places here that are found. Watch what Brother Random says as you're turning there, Isaiah chapter 24. Our Heavenly Father, we are told that faith comes by hearing. And Father, we pray that you will impart to us the context of the reading. Why does he say that? Because revelation comes from God. No matter how good a preacher Brother Random is, no matter how a good preacher anyone is, we have to have the understanding imparted to us by our Heavenly Father. So we pray, Father, that we'll have understanding tonight by the revelation. And may the Holy Spirit reveal to us the things that pertain to us in this day. It's all hid in this great mystery of God that's been since the foundation of the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. So we want to know the things that pertain to us in this day. It's all hid in this great mystery of God. It, it's just an amazing thing. All right, now, <clears throat> Isaiah 24. Let's read. This is going to be my last scripture here. Uh, for today, and I want you to look at it with me in your Bible, because this is going to be um, important here for us, okay? So, the, the, the heading that Schofield puts in his Bible here is looking through troubles to the kingdom age. That's the, that's the title that he uses. Now, <clears throat> Isaiah's prophesying, and we're not going to read the whole thing. You should read the whole thing. But we're not going to read the whole thing for time's sake here today. But watch what, he's, what he does right. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty. He made it full. The Lord maketh it empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. The same creator who made it is able to take it and turn it upside down. In other words, time of confusion and scatter the inhabitants of the world. He did it once in the time of the Tower of Babel. He can do it again. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the taker of usury or interest, so with the giver of usury to him. The land shall be utterly empty and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. So this applies to everyone. The, the, the maid as well as the mistress. It, it is the rich and the poor. It doesn't matter. When God enters into this cycle of judgment and this shaking time, let me tell you, everyone's going to be affected by that. And four says, the earth mourneth. There's a, there's a birth pain that's going on. There's a dying that's going and fadeth away. We're fading from one life into another one, fading from one condition to another one. And the world languisheth and fadeth away. And the haughty people of the world, the people who laughed at God and laughed at Christians, the people who stripped God out of government, and the people who feel like they can make it on their own strength, the haughty people of the earth do languish. In other words, they lag behind. They're out there on their own. They've lost their way. My goodness, 
Verse 6, therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. I mean, this is a picture of judgment. It's a very sobering chapter. You should take time to read it. it. It's a very sobering picture here. But I want you to notice now the promises that are embedded in this time. Okay, it's a very clear description of the end time, end time season, and the cycle of judgment that is to come. We refer to it as the day of the Lord. But I want you to notice the promises that are embedded in it. That Drop down to verse 13. When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree and as the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. And they shall lift up their voice and shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from, from the sea. Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires, even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the isles of the sea. That in that time when all the earth is languishing and everything is upside down, you know what God's going to do? He's going to shake the olive tree. What does the olive tree represent? But Israel, he's going to shake Israel loose from all parts of the earth and she'll come back and they'll sing from the sea to sea. They'll sing uh, in their land. They'll rejoice and restore true worship again back in that time. So at, at, at a, the same time when something coming down, something is building back up and God's turning a corner and the whole thing is shifting here. You know what? We knew that. We knew that. Been there, done that. We, we, we know that. And by God's grace, we know those things. Uh, because he's he's given us an access because we are friends with God. Can I go a little further? Can I hear from you this morning? Go just a couple of minutes here, just in this reading here, and then we'll that'll be our last scripture. Verse 18. And it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. Can run away from it. You can't escape it. And he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. Even if you fall into the pit, you're going to fall into the snare. For the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down and the earth is clean dissolved. For the earth is moving, the earth is moved exceedingly. You know why? Because this earth is groaning and travailing in pain together until now. It's, it's wanting to right itself. It's wanting to come back to the place that it should be. 20, the earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. So we have certain earthquakes and certain events that take place uh, tectonically in the earth and the earth is actually shifting. It's wobbling and it's moving a certain, certain ways here. That's a little layman's comment here. But those are the things that, that happen uh, in this last day that all of a sudden, you know, we're experiencing phenomena that takes place in the heavens and the earth because we're in a shaking time and a time when something's passing away and something's about to be birthed in the earth. And that has consequences on the earth. And you're not going to run away from it. You're not going to be able to escape it during that time. In 21, it talks about this, this cycle of punishment that we find, find ourselves in, even though personally, by God's grace, we don't find ourselves in. If anyone deserved punishment, it would have been some of us. But by God's grace now, I want you to notice 22. This is where we're going to end here. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days they shall, shall they be visited. And the moon shall be confounded, and the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem, and before his ancients gloriously. Isn't that marvelous? That right in the time of trouble, 
this will be the conditions of the times when he positions himself on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before his ancients gloriously, when the Lord of hosts shall reign. So it will not be a time of pleasantness. It'll be a time outside of Israel and outside of Jerusalem. It'll be complete chaos. And picture this, the whole world turned upside down. And this is going to affect everybody. Nobody's going to be able to run from it. The whole world in that condition here. And here's God standing on his throne in Israel, fighting for Israel, standing for Israel. And, you know, proud of the fact that he's regathered his people from all over the earth successfully and brought them back despite the Iron Curtain and the Bamboo Curtain and the, uh, all the other oppositions politically for Israel coming back into her land. But she's there and God stands there and said, this is my place. This is my people. I'm going to stand for her and nobody's going to stop me. And I'm going to bring the rest of the world that rejected that into judgment here. And there is no more mercy mercy left again for those people that are out there in the world. Do you realize that as God did that for, God is going to do that for Israel, that God has also go, has done that for us. Let me say that again. In the same way that God will do that for Israel, that God has also done that for us to bring us out of our systems and bring us out of our former life and bring us out of our sinfulness, everything that should have shackled us and tied us down. God broke the bonds of all of that and freed us to come back into his glorious place, a place of habitation, a city of habitation. And God opened that door, gave us the key of, of revelation and be able to release all the good things of God that come to the bride of Christ and to be able to stand there in victory, to be able to stand there in, in the, the position of an overcomer to be able to stand there in glory on this earth and have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our bridegroom, to stand with us and one day be taken off into glory. And then God goes back into that cycle of judgment here and stands in Israel, stands for Jerusalem in that day. What a tremendous thing that's going on here. And how do we know that? How do we know that? Because there's an advantage of knowing God. When you take the key of revelation, and the key of understanding and unlock that door, the hinges creak and that door opens up and the good things from God flow to you as an individual. They flow to you as a family. They flow to us as a church. And we are blessed in the hearing and the, and the listening of the word of God. It builds faith to the place where desperation takes on a different meaning now. The desperation in a sense should precede the emergency. That's what Brother Bram's describing. That desperation should actually come before you find yourself in calamity. Because we know that if God promised it, it's going to happen. Then we say, now, Lord, make me desperate enough to be right when that time comes so that I will not fear, so that I will not fall apart, so that I will have my house in order, so that I will have my finances in order. Everything I can do, Lord, to make myself right, to be in the right position, to be close to you. Lord, I don't want to go any further unless I know your presence is with me. And Lord, help me to be at that place. And that's what that's what uh, the, the the message is this morning. There's an advantage to knowing God. Greater is coming. There are greater things that are on the road for us, and I believe we'll experience some of those things as we move forward from this time uh, on outwards. There'll be great things in store for us. I'm confident of that. I'm I'm experiencing those things, you know, in in a in a minor way myself, and I I know that uh, you know. God has plans for us, I believe, to meet together again and to be able to enjoy the presence of our, our gathering together. There's nothing like ministering to a, a full house of people that believe the message of the hour and believe the Bible. I think it's a wonderful thing. Let's look at the last quotation here. It's Daniel's 70 weeks. Brother Ram's placing all of these things for us here. 
I wish I had musicians to come up here and take their places here. This is this is their cue. But let's just read this last statement here. God don't have things out of cater. He's just letting it run like that for a little time. And I truly believe that thing was done in his last days is when God's going to reveal those secrets to the church. God allows things to go on for a certain season and then does something, opens up something, changes things. He hasn't done it before. He hasn't opened up his word. That's what he's referring to. He hasn't done it to keep the church waiting and watching and praying all the time and knowing when it was coming. But remember, Daniel 12 says, the wise shall understand in this last day. It's been given to him. Not that we deserve it, but it's been given to him. The spirit of wisdom comes into the church to make known to the church by the revelation of the Holy Ghost, bringing the church in, revealing what day we're living in, just the same as Gabriel came to Daniel, the Holy Spirit comes to the church in the last day to reveal these great, deep, secret things. May God bless you. And thank you for being here with me today. And appreciate your, your support and your amens here. May God richly bless you. Let me tell you, I, I'm just, you know, you, you begin to tap into thoughts like this and it, it's just a humbling thing. I've said it many times. It's a humbling thing to know you're included. Hang on, folks. We'll we'll eventually get back to seeing one another again. Hold on. We don't need to run to and fro. We have an anchor. And storms are blowing. There are difficulties that we face. Hold on. God knew exactly where you were when this began. God knows exactly where you'll be when this is over. Let the spirit of desperation, the right kind of desperation, come into our hearts and say, Lord, may we use the time we have to really make sure you're right there. Let me do whatever I can to make sure I've done nothing in my life that grieves the Holy Spirit. And Lord, forgive us if we have. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for your mercies to us. We look at the world, and, and truly, it's easier for us to believe now how you could take the world and turn it upside down, because that's that's really what's happened. There are all kinds of situations in the world now that don't make sense, and it's happened to everyone. Everyone's involved, rich or poor, powerful or weak, simple, those that wield great control. It doesn't matter. The whole thing's turned upside down. And Lord, even if we come back to the right side temporarily, I do believe, Lord, that you're the one that is warning us ahead of time where this is taking us. I'm just thankful that we're on the right path. I'm thankful that we have a vision that guides us. Thankful, Lord, for a clear, certain sound that has, that has sounded out in this age. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that, Lord, you administer to each family, each individual, Lord, is listening today. And, Lord, may you just bless and strengthen us in the journey. For some, Lord, it's not easy. For some, it's really not easy. And I just want to hold them up before you, Lord, and, and just pray that your grace would be sufficient today. And, Lord, you just give us that shot of encouragement that we need. Lord, we pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are going through struggles in their mind and their heart. I pray, dear God, that you would
Bless those who are in the medical field again. We commit them to you. Pray for those that are suffering loss. May Lord you be their comforter today. I just ask you to bless my home and family, Lord, and, and thank you for them so much. And may your peace and your presence, Lord, inhabit every home under the hearing of my voice. I commit them to you. And thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you, saints. I trust you'll have a wonderful week. We'll see the brothers at 7. Uh, if you're old enough to turn on a computer and find your way, Come on, it'll be good information for young people as well. And uh, we will look to see you uh, on Wednesday night again uh, with the whole assembly. May God bless you.